Welcome to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me, your host, Father Craig Guerra, as we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com. Well, welcome everybody to another edition, another episode of Men of the Hearts podcast. Glad that you're here with us. Uh, last episode, we had on a Father David's brother-in-law married to one of the Pelican sisters, Valerie. So we got to understand what a vocation of being mar- married to a Pelican is like, a patrifamilias, as, as we said. Uh, it was really kind of interesting, as we know that... Uh, he was there talking to the priest and, and, and told his fiance at the time that uh, he felt called to the priesthood. So it was really interesting to see how he felt called to marriage and not to the priesthood. I know sometimes uh, we all have that struggle uh, as we begin our discernment towards the priesthood. Uh, this month we have on a priest from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Uh, he's in a special ministry as a canon lawyer, although he's been a, a priest here for a number of years now, so he's had a number of different assignments and also was the pastor of Holy Trinity Parish in Port Huron. Father Sell, welcome to Men of the Hearts podcast. Thank you, Father Craig. If uh, you were paying attention, I didn't mention Father David's name. Father David uh, would love to be here today, but Father David, as we all know, he's an overachiever and loves school and gets all A's in seminary all the time. (laughs) He went off to California to a special uh, retreat or conference all about scripture and everything like that, and then his flight got canceled and he got rerouted, so he was up for like 21 hours, and now he has the sniffles and can't be with us. So (laughs) by the time you hear this, he'll probably be all better, but uh, remember to pray for him and pray for all of us because... Uh, us priests need prayers too, so uh, we're praying for you. So, Father Sal, before we get into the story of your uh, vocation, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, a blessing that's been happening in your life? I know we just kind of celebrated the New Year and Christmas. Maybe something special with that. Yeah, I I love Christmas um, because it reminds me that uh, God is always near. Um, it's so easy to think of God as being far off in heaven, you know, kind of watching. And um, the birth of Christ is always such a powerful reminder that um, God is close, God wants to be close, that he understands the little things that we have to deal with in our everyday life. So, um, yeah, I always feel like it's a special time of year because of that. Now, Father Sal, you're you're Italian, correct? Yes. 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 A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sal. Sal is short for Salvatore, right? Right. So, or Salvatore. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, I know. Uh, I know the Italians have a great uh, love for Christmas, but they have like for the whole kind of manger scene, and then they kind of spread out. And there's a special name for it. Am I saying that correctly? Is is there something special about that? Um, there's there's so many traditions. I mean, I know my family, one thing that we always do is wait to place the baby Jesus until after, you know, midnight mass. Um, and uh, that was always something that we, you know, we all fought over it, you know, as siblings, as kids growing up, like, who gets to hide baby Jesus and who gets to put him in there? And um, so... Now, along with all the other Christmas decorations, um, the nativity scene or the creche has always been, you know, one of my favorites because uh, it was kind of interactive, if you will. Like, you know, we could always put out a couple pieces each week of Advent and 
kind of see like the buildup of oh, that's really cool of coming near you know yeah and it was just you got the honor to be able to um place baby jesus is that before you uh open presents or that was like right when you came back from midnight mass yeah or? usually right when we came back you know we'd be running you know and racing to get to baby jesus to place him in the manger so that was always a fun uh tradition that we had growing up that's awesome that's awesome um, Father Sal was only two years behind me in the seminary. We actually lived down the same hall, and then you took my room after I left because it was one of the biggest rooms. Oh, right. <laughs> remember that? And we I used do to, remember now. Yeah, we used to have floor dinners, and I remember when you made chicken soup. Um, it was very similar to my mother's chicken soup, and oh, I remember yeah. it was very good. I really enjoy cooking. You know, my parents are both the oldest children on their sides of the family, so they kind of grew up helping to cook, and so... Then I'm the oldest of uh, my family. I have a sister who's about three years younger than me and a brother who's about eight years younger than I am. And um, being the oldest, I was always, like, wanting to help and watch my parents. So, like, you know, I've learned to kind of cook from them, and I've always enjoyed cooking as a way of just kind of relaxing. And What's your uh, favorite thing to cook? I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe like, a chicken uh, picante or something like that. All right. That's really good. Yeah, for me, um, I think blessing of, of, of Christmas is sort of kind of what you said of, of just realizing that God is with us and, and God um, is close to us uh, and that God has experienced everything that we experience. I think sometimes in our lives we, and, and, and there are many situations where where people can say, I, I, I just don't know what you're going through, or I've been through something similar, but not the same. You, you don't live my life. You don't know what it's like. And that we do have a God that knows exactly what it's like. And it's very, it's just very comforting to know that God suffered what we suffered and we can go to him and he knows exactly what that is. And so I think that's a special thing too. So Christmas is, it's not the same type of Christmas, like when you're a little kid and you feel like kind of like that magic moment or anything like that, but it's more of a real of, okay, Christmas is special because of Jesus Christ, and, and this is how it relates to me. So I hear you on that. Yeah, I hope it helps us to think about how much um, we need each other to um, spiritually, emotionally, um, you know, a lot of uh, the family get-togethers, like around Christmas, you know, to celebrate the holiday, of course, um, but also kind of marked, like, hey, we've made it halfway through the winter, like, we're going to be okay, like, and there was that, that kind of physical sense of relief, like, together we're going to get through this, I mean, years ago, right? I mean, uh, and now we've got grocery stores and we've, we've got gas furnaces and you know that's not so much a concern but uh, I hope people still take the time to think like you know uh, the communion of saints I mean there is still a need for that connection and you know not to be so independent that we don't feel like we need to nurture those relationships yeah I think so I think with COVID too of just like the last two years still kind of being you know do I go or do I not go do I travel you know and um you know one of us was sick and you know it was come anyways you know like we're we're kind of immune or whatever it seemed like at, at the time like with family we were safe and everything like that so it, it is kind of nice to know that you know you get to see your family and be with them and yeah that's cool. 
Well, Father Sal, you want to jump into your vocation story? Tell it however you want. It's always good to maybe at least start, you know, when you first thought about your vocation and, you know, kind of like what high school life was like for you and stuff like that. Because uh, a lot of guys in high school might be considering what, what they're going to do in the future. So, uh, yeah, tell it how you want to. Sure. Well, I've been a priest for about 10 years now. I mean, I'll start off with that. Um, Congratulations on 10 years. Yeah, thanks, right? right? The whole decade. Um, You know, I was an associate at uh, St. Lawrence in Utica for three years. Which was very close to where I was. So Mm -hmm. it was only two miles. It was different vicariate, but it was only two miles away. And vicariate's such a canon lawyer type of word. Um, You know, usually we say I was an associate pastor, but uh, if we want to use the formal (laughs) title, we could say I was a parochial vicar, and it sounds more special. Yeah, that's fancy. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you for helping me out when I was uh, needing some coverage. (laughs) No, it's all right. And um, after that, I did six months at Guardian Angels in Clawson, Mm -hmm. and um, those are both great uh, assignments. And then I was excited to be asked to uh, be an administrator and then pastor up at Holy Trinity Parish in Port Huron and was there for three and a half years before um, going for studies for canon law. So um, I guess that's kind of where I am now. So then I can kind of uh, rewind to how that all started. Yeah. You know, I grew up, uh, like I said, in an Italian Catholic family. Um, We... Like I said, I only have two siblings, so my immediate family is not really large, but I was very blessed to have a large, like, extended family. Like, a lot of my mom and dad's cousins lived in the area, and both sets of grandparents lived in the area. And, you know, it was always, somebody was always over for coffee. Somebody was stopping by after work, at night, you know, on the weekend. I mean, we always had company, mm-hmm. or we were always over at somebody's house. I mean... There was a lot of family time, and it was great, and that's what I had always anticipated for myself. I had figured, well, I'll grow up, get married, you know, people be coming over, I'll be going. And so that, I just figured that's how it's going to go. And, you know, that made sense to me because I had dated all through, like, high school and into college, and, um, you know, that was what I thought my life uh, was going to hold. And, you know, was real surprised um, when that began to change for me. Um, You know, really there were kind of three larger moments that categorized my discernment. And one thing was not being, like, content with the path that I freely chose to begin with. I always liked math and science in high school and did well in those subjects. And, you know, we're in, Re- in Detroit, the Motor City. Yeah. So engineering, working for the automotive companies seemed like a no-brainer. It was like, okay, this will be good. And went to school for mechanical engineering and uh, started off at uh, Kettering University, the old GMI up in Flint. Yeah. And so I was going to school three months and then working three months and then going to school for three months, you know, Mm year-round. And here I had gotten a co-op job at General Motors and was making good money and it was good experience. And everything was was great, except it wasn't. Like, I just, it it was the oddest thing. I, I had a hard time even explaining it to people. It was like, 
everything's going good, this is what I had planned on, this is what I had wanted, and I'm not happy. Yeah, can you try to maybe put that in some words for us? Because I think there are a lot of young guys who, who do exactly that. They they get to the college they want to, they get into the profession that they want to, they get what seems is going to make them happy, and they just don't feel content, like there's something missing. So if you can kind of single that out a little bit, that could be very helpful for, for someone listening. You know, the best I might be able to describe it is that there was like a lack of joy and I didn't feel very much like myself. Um, hmm. I don't know if that's very descriptive, but maybe it'll be helpful. I mean, no, that makes that's a good way to describe it. I didn't feel like myself. Yeah. I mean, I felt like this is what I wanted. I thought this would make me happy and I felt like this is where I should be. And then I was there and I'm like, this isn't me. It's an identity thing more than I feel happy or I feel joy. It's I don't feel me. Right. Yeah. Right. Because there was nothing, nothing quantitatively. I mean, no numbers I could point to. I mean, it was like you know, things are going as expected. Money's good. Everything is like lining up. It was more of a quality thing. It was more of a, yeah, like my identity, my happiness, my joy, just like my own contentment. I was just like that. It wasn't there. I had no reason to believe it wouldn't be, but it just wasn't. So were you I, practicing your faith at this time? I mean, is this were you still well, part of the church? That that actually leads me into you know my second part. So this first part was not being content with my own choice, my own decision, even though things were were fine. They were really you know it was great. But then so the thought was well, if not engineering what will my life's work be? So that kind of left an open question. At this time, I was not practicing my faith in college. Uh, I did grow growing up. Um, you know, my family was a very uh, practicing um, family. Went um, to midnight mass? Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, you know, we were pretty good Catholics. I mean, I don't know if we weren't like overly devout. I mean, like, I don't... You went to Mass every week? Went to Mass every week. We said grace before meals. We said bedtime prayers. You know. Um, but you didn't have great theological debates. We didn't have great theological debates. We didn't pray the rosary together as a family. You know, we didn't do a lot of those things, which maybe, you know. That's very similar to my growing up, too. Would be expected, you know. Um, so when I went to Kettering, you know, I did kind of typical college kid thing of staying up late and partying on Saturday and sleeping in on Sunday and not even knowing where the nearest parish was or mm -hmm. who who would might go with me, you know, to church or anything like that. So it kind of just got pushed to the side. And then as I was discovering not being content with engineering, I decided to transfer home and go to Oakland University because I figured I could finish my engineering degree and then hop into another program wherever, you know, I decided is yeah. where I wanted to be where you ra feel rather than engineering. Because yeah. Kettering didn't offer anything else. Right? <laughs> Kettering is uh, a great engineering school, but it's, you know, it's very focused. Yeah. Like engineering and management is pretty much, it, you know, yeah. what you're doing. So when I transferred to Oakland, I moved back in, back in with my folks and, um, you know, they're going to church on Sundays, so of course I was going went with them. 
it was really like a revelation. I was just kind of like, wow, I really missed this. Hmm. Um, this this is part of the not being happy or content or not feeling like myself. Like this has something to do with this. And it was it was kind of scary to realize that because I thought I might have never realized that had I not moved home. Like had I just completed the degree at Kettering and moved on with my life, who knows if I would have been lost to the practice of the faith forever. Yeah. You know, having by chance starting to go to Mass with my folks, you know, having this realization of like, oh, this is missing in my life, um, was a real, um, you know, kind of shook me to realize like, wow, wow this is something I... I've really missed. And um but I didn't want to do it just because it felt good at the time or I didn't want to do it just because my family was doing it. I said, "Well, okay, if I'm going to be Catholic, I want to be Catholic. I want to know about my faith and I want to practice my faith. I want to understand it." And you know, I had a hard time finding anybody who either had answers to all the questions I had mm-hmm. or if they had the answers, had the time to sit with me. And um, so I said, well, I'm a college student. I can figure this out. Like I went to, <laughs> I went to Barnes & Noble. I went to the bookstore, right? And I just started browsing around the Christianity section. And here I see in the shelf, you know, big green book, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I pick it up and I, I'm flipping through the first few pages. And I was like, oh, it's approved by the Pope. This should be good enough. Yeah, you know. and it tells you everything you need to know. If you don't have a catechism, buy one. <laughs> We're on the second edition. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that... Um, Isn't it funny how the Lord led you to that book? Like, no, if you don't know about it, you would never think to go look for it. You know what I'm saying? No, I mean, here, I went to a secular bookstore. I didn't go to a Catholic bookstore or, like, search some Catholic list of books online or something. I mean, yeah. I... I'll give the warning. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is not a novel. <laughs> it's also it's not... an instruction manual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not even a textbook where it has, you know, chapter after chapter. It It is, you know, a one-volume, like, encyclopedia almost. It's like a, you know, instruction manual. It's a... It's very much... Um, piecemealed. I mean, they've got kind of large sections that they uh, have broken the book into, but our faith is so rich. There's so many aspects to it um, to put everything in that book. But you know what? It appealed to me with my engineering background. Mm -hmm. Every paragraph was numbered. Mm -hmm. There were all kinds of footnotes. It was very organized. Reference numbers to reference numbers. Reference to go to the Bible and everything. (laughs) Yes. So like where okay, you read something, you're like, that sounds nice. Where did that come from? Oh, footnote, the Bible, whatever. And you're like Council of Trends. Yeah, (laughs) Council. You're like, okay, I can someone's not just making up these nice words, like they're from, you know, authoritative sources. Yeah. And I wouldn't recommend this for everybody, but I I read through that catechism in two weeks. Like in two weeks' time, I just like I was flipping through, reading it, and it was exciting. You know, the light bulb was going off, and I was like, "Oh, that's why we do that, and that's where this is coming from, and this is the history on how this." Hit. 
it was, and not only was I excited about it for myself, but I found myself, I caught myself a number of times, like being excited to share this information with other people. Mm. And that was kind of a new experience too. I had never like been excited to talk about the faith with other people, especially in a way where I was like, what I now would say would be evangelizing them, but would not even have had that language, you know, at the time. Well, it makes so much sense too. I mean, you with your kind of canon lawyer background, and I just remember you in the seminary, you're like, you know, we'd be arguing about something of of what we can do in the church or something. I was like, well, let's go, let's go to the canon law book. It says right here. Like, but that's not what the teacher said. Yeah, but here's what the book said. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's great to know this about, you know, and, and, and just another caveat, they, they also make a UCAT, which is for teenagers. It's a little bit, uh, uh, an easier read, uh, uh, but it's the same information just in a different format. And they make the compendium for the catechism as well which is a question answer format as well which is pretty cool and uh i read all of them because uh you know there's there's no shortage of trying to know more and learn more and especially in different ways and i found the compendium actually easier for me to get the answers then Mm -hmm. because my mind doesn't work math science that's not me at all (laughs) i just find it awesome though that you went to just a regular bookstore and that's what you picked and that's what God wanted you to have at that moment. I would say that my reconversion to my Catholic faith happened through the transcendental of truth. <laughs> I, you know, is my faith in Christ real or not? Like, is this, is Jesus the son of God or not? And did he rise from the dead or not? What is the church's origin? You know, all of the, all of these things, like they're either true or they're not. If they're not true, then we can throw them away. Do whatever you want. Let's not be bothered. If they are true, then it, for me it was like, well, if this is true, that's everything. Like came over. Like I mean, we we've got to live our lives in accord with this. I mean, so um, the more I learned about my faith, um, the more my faith my faith grew, and um, the more my love for God grew, and it kind of came together that, um, you know, engineering was not what made me happy, and I had kind of picked that, and then kind of had a reconversion of my faith and strengthening in that. And then... Before you get to your third aspect, I don't don't want to forget, I want to say this, because I think it's important, because it was your parents who got you going back to church. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because they told you to go back to church, it just was their own quiet faith that spoke volumes in a sense. Like, I go to church. I don't question it. It's just what we do on Sundays, right? And maybe like me growing up and you growing up, it's not we didn't talk about our faith often or something, but there was something there, and it said that there was something powerful to go every single week. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are like that, that their faith is really strong. They just don't have necessarily the words um like we do when we study it and we can speak to it a little bit more. It's a different type of witness to the faith. And I just wanted to honor that with, with how your parents really brought you to the church from a very young child and, and kind of their continuing to go to Mass brought you back to Mass because what, what would have happened if they weren't going to Mass when you got back home? I would encourage people to look, look at the example they're giving 
to others because that speaks volumes. Then to not be afraid to share the faith in whatever way is natural and comfortable to them. You know, if you're not a theologian, if you're not a philosopher, you know, if you're not uh, an apologist, you know, don't worry about sounding like them. Yeah. You know, I think it's important that people do share their faith, especially with their family and friends. Um, but just be real. Uh, just share your feelings. I mean, we do this all the time with our friends and family on all kinds of stuff, whether we're talking about food or music or movies yeah. or whatever it is. Oh, I really love this because of this. And This and, is the best pizza place. Yeah. And, right? We and can argue about stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, why is it the best? Because I like spicy pepperoni and it's just why. Because it's like, because I like that flavor. And what? And we can do that with our faith too. Like, you know, going to church is important because for whatever whatever reason it is for you. Like, I mean, um, whether you feel happy or relieved, that's perfectly fine. Don't feel bad to say that. Like, going to church makes me, like, feel good. Like, I feel like I have a better relationship with God when I go. Like, I feel like, um, you know, I have more strength for the week. Like, you can say those things. You don't, you can just share how you feel. You don't have to give some theological, yeah. you know, dogma and especially with our culture today, it's about feelings. So how can someone get mad at your own feelings, right? right. <laughs> I go to church because it makes me feel good, and I really love God. And when I went to Mass this week, uh, the priest made me uh, understand something I never understood. How can someone get mad at that? About you? <laughs> like, this is my feeling. Like It's very you know, easy, yeah. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. I'm glad that you put a word to that, so... Awesome. But I cut you off earlier. You were getting to your third point of like, so, you know, you realize that as an engineer, this doesn't feel like me. And then you come back home, you start going to mass again, and you realize this is what I've been missing. Mm -hmm. And so now you want to really understand it. So you jump into your faith. You read the catechism within two weeks. You're practicing your faith. So now what? Yeah. So everything kind of was starting to snowball. Um, you know, I read through the catechism, I started reading scripture, I started reading apologetics, um, I started attending a young adult group uh, on campus, I started to go to daily mass, and, you know, everything just was kind of like picking up speed, you know, EWTN on TV, mm -hmm. you know, Catholic radio in the car, you know, like, I could not, like, just get enough of of Christ and his church, you know, I was like, I was taking it in from all these different types of media, right? I mean, wherever I had the chance. And then kind of the third big thing was I was returning to um, Kettering to visit some friends who were still there one night, and I was driving up I-75, and do you know the spot on I-75 like just north of like Dixie Highway, mm -hmm. where there's like a, a Baptist church, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it has that big Are sign. Are you on the right road? Exactly. <laughs> it has that big face of Jesus yeah. with, Are you on, on the, the right, right road, road underneath? Okay. I think we've all probably seen that, yes. right? If you've gone up north, you've seen that. <laughs> right. So imagine I had just driven past that, okay? And then I get blown off the road. I was in an SUV. The winds that night, they were giving warnings. It was like 60, 70 mile an hour winds. Wow. 
and it had started to flurry like further up the road, like where it had come from it, it was not snowing mm-hmm. at all, but it had started to flurry. So the road started to become like black ice. Yeah. And I got onto that piece of road, which was just north of the sign there. Yeah. And there was a patch where there weren't so many trees. And I'm watching like the snowflakes just come down like real slow. And I wasn't worried about it. I was going to speed limit, you know, and um, no rush. And all of a sudden I see the snowflakes blow perfectly like sideways to my left. And I was like, wow, that's weird. I don't know if I've ever seen snow blow perfectly horizontal before. And before I could even finish that thought, it stopped and blew perfectly horizontal the other way. And when that happened, the car just started to slide. Wow. And it went from the center lane to the right lane to the shoulder off into the ditch. Now, I turned the wheel. I was hitting the brakes. Nothing. Wow. No response. I mean, it was total ice. It was the act of God. I mean, this is a powerful wind on ice yeah. taking you sideways. Right. That's the side of the SUV just acted like a wind sail, you know? I mean, it was just... So the car goes down, like, you know, front end first, hits the bottom of the ditch, pops up, and it's kind of a steep ditch. Mm -hmm. Rolls onto the side, the driver's side of the car, and the car continues to slide, like, up the hill and finds the one tree that's, like, close to the road. Mm. And the tree hits just behind the driver's compartment, and the car continues to slide, and it flattens like the back three quarters of the SUV. So like just the little driver's compartment was the only thing that was like not touched. Wow. Yeah. So I open my eyes and, you know, I'm buckled in sideways into this car and I get that loose and I stand up and it's very disorienting if you're ever in a car, which is on its side. (laughs) I was looking at the passenger seat. I'm like... Trying to, like which just, way? Which way is up? <laughs> right. Which way is up? Yeah. I'm like, where am I? Where am I? You know? Um, and you know, all I could see in my head was like those movie scenes where the car just explodes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, I need to get out. I need to get out of here, right? <laughs> and uh, I turn the ignition off because I, yeah, I'm just thinking like, that was smart, right? I'm like, yeah. all right. Um, and then I'm looking around and I end up like rolling down the passenger side window and you know I know it's probably a relatively common function on some of the cars nowadays um, and maybe it was for that car too I don't know but I, I still think there was some providence in the fact that I didn't think about it till afterwards like sharing the story the first time I was like oh I had turned off the ignition and then I was still able to roll down the electronic window and you know, pull myself out, yeah. climb, climb out. Yeah, that shouldn't happen. So the the other thing, uh, just to back up a little bit, the other thing that had happened was I when I came out of this car, like, perfectly fine, like, unscathed, like, 
no cuts, no bruises, no whiplash, no nothing. broken bones, nothing. I came out like perfectly fine. I was able to jump down off the side of the car um, onto the side of the hill there. And um, when that car hit the ditch and then rolled, you know, before I hit that tree, I experienced something which um, I still think it, it was a miracle. I, st I still think God intervened. It, I don't know how to describe it well, but it I wanted to say it kind of felt like I exploded. Hmm. Like I felt like some force starting like like in my core like pushed out. Hmm. And you know, with the driver's compartment being like the only part of the car that like didn't get flattened, you know, I just felt like God really um, preserved me, you know, uh, in in a physical, like, you know, real way there. Yeah. And um, so why would God, like, intervene to save my life? Um, so that was kind of the third thing that, you know, there there must be something important I still need to do with my life, and I haven't done it yet. Yeah, really came back to my faith, and I've really been growing in it, and I'm looking for my life's work. So, you know, those things kind of were really like the the driving force behind you know discerning, wow. you know, my vocation. And it's so powerful too because you're going, you were driving back to your old life in a sense, right? And I, I know God works miracles because I've had many miracles as well. And I think you sharing that with us is very powerful. And um, I mean, it reminds me of the three young men in the fiery furnace where God sends a whistling wind and they don't even smell like the fire, right? Like God intervenes and miracles do happen. So, I mean, that's powerful. And I think we can have some of these powerful things happen to us, but then, well, why? You know, I think then that's where you're at your point right now is like... Mm -hmm this powerful thing happens to me where God saves me, literally provides a miracle. And I know it's a miracle because I felt it and I saw it and I, I, I lived through something I shouldn't have lived through. So what does God want from me? Right. So <laughs> that's, that's the question. Are right? you on the right road? That is the, right. Are you on the right road? And like, Wow. I mean, right? I mean, this yeah. talk about signs, like people ask for signs, like, I got a sign. I got a pretty strong sign, right? Mm -hmm. um, there it was, you know, and um, I had this brilliant idea, you know, I like to think I'm a pretty smart guy, you know. So, you know what I figured out? I was like, hey, since, you know, God has a plan and God is sovereign and, you know, God is always working for a good, not maybe just maybe I should ask God what he wants me to do with my life. <laughs> That's novel. That's genius, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. I was like, all this time I've been praying about stuff and asking for things. And, you know, I finally got to a point with reading the catechism and reading the Bible and, and getting involved in my faith. I was like, why am I not praying about this? Yeah. You were, you were feeding yourself, had knowledge, but you needed to... You were full, but you didn't digest it yet, in a sense. Right. Yeah. As things were being digested, as they were kind of like um, sinking in, it was like, oh, okay, I know how to pray. I've been praying. Like, 
you know, I think a lot of us ask for things when we pray, but I was like, maybe I should ask God what he wants, you know? I, and it was funny, even though I had kind of picked up on the very simple truth, I still didn't get it like completely because when I went to God in prayer, like I gave God like three choices, you know? <laughs> I was like, all right, Lord, so um, what do you want me to do? You know, comma, <laughs> you know, do you want me? Like, like I didn't want to like full stop. I should have had like period. What do you want me to do and just stop? But yeah, instead yeah. I was just kind of like, well, you know, I could – I had a great high school experience. I like math and science. I'm like, maybe I'll be a high school math teacher. Um, you know, I wasn't very involved in high school. And so I was like, oh, you know, maybe I should go back and do that. Or um, I've actually always had an interest in law. And I said, well, maybe I could do patent law with, hmm. you know, the engineering background. And um, – then at the time, you know, they were talking about a lot of advances in like prosthetics and different things. And I thought, well, maybe I can get my medical degree and do like biomedical kind of engineering and help people that way. So those are my three brilliant ideas. <laughs> and, you know, I presented those to God, like, well, which one do you want me to do? And like, where would I go if I did each of these? And how much longer would it take? And, you know, thinking about all the practical things, getting into... And as I was talking to God about those three options, he just interrupted me. I was in church praying about this, and in the middle of a sentence, this interjection just comes in and says, why don't you become a priest? You were in the church alone. And I was, Yeah, I was in the church alone, yeah. but it was so clear... Yeah. That I looked around, I turned around to see if someone was like, "Is someone listening to me?" <laughs> like, <laughs> was I was I sitting in front of somebody? Like, you know, I kind of turn around, I'm looking, and uh, I was like, "A priest." I was like, "Oh no, that's not for me. That's yeah, that's nice and everything, but that's not going to happen." Like, no, what do you really want me to do? And I didn't hear that voice again, but whenever I would think about those options and stuff. I couldn't help but think of that experience. That experience and yeah. what I had heard so clearly. So eventually I contacted um the vocations office and scheduled to come for a like a come and see weekend. Mm -hmm. And we still have those by the way. Those are <laughs> those are those are a great help. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit I was I was afraid to call. Mm -hmm. Because I thought this is like the Catholic Church's version of like the army recruiters, like, like if I give these guys, if I call up and give father my name and number, like, I'm never going to hear the end of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I might as well just go and sign up. If, <laughs> and, you know, I was very relieved that it wasn't like that. I mean, that wasn't, you know, forceful or intimidating or like, you know, uh, was overwhelmed with phone calls and emails and. Yeah. But that was definitely a concern of mine. I, I'm, I can see how a lot of people would be hesitant to like take that step and say, identify themselves. Yeah. Don't be afraid to do that if you're thinking yeah. about doing it. I mean, that. We, we put you on an email list just so they can know what's coming up, like a come and see weekend or dinner with the Archbishop and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. it's not like 
We're going to be knocking on your door and showing up at your school and saying, hey, you called me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Are you signing up or not? <laughs> I must have been in the seminary at the time then when you came out of come and see or what, how long from the come and see did you enter the seminary? Um, pretty closely. I think it was like in the spring okay. of the come and see and then entered in the fall. What, what's good about a come and see is really just get a lot of conversations with the seminarians who have the same questions and are going through the same things and, and they're right there answering questions and you get to see what they're like. You get to see what life is like here at the seminary. You get all these weird ideas that you're walking around in robes all the time with a Bible in your hand in silence or something like that. And, you know, you come to the seminary and you play ultimate Frisbee and, you know, you got ping pong tournament and you're <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is normal. This ain't, this ain't so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. It was wonderful like, to like meet the seminarians and be like, these are all like, just like good, normal like guys. And then like the priests are like, these are like holy, intelligent men. Like, I mean, it was, how do I say? I was just so happy to... Uh, have the experience I did out, you know, you know, I think you, I didn't know what exactly to expect and what I was getting myself, you know, into. And I was so relieved to see like um, the quality of the priests and the seminarians that were here and, mm -hmm. and how they were regular men who wanted to give their life uh, to service of God in this church. And um, that was so affirming for me because you know, when you when you begin to discern your vocation of the priesthood, you're just like, does anyone else feel this way, or am I the odd man out? Or yeah. And so it was great to like have that kind of sense of like camaraderie with like, oh, these guys are on the same page as I am. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's what's really great about it. And when you do come to the seminary to discern, because even though you, you know you can get accepted to the seminary, there's still the discernment process going on, right? Right. So I mean there's still time that you figure it out and you've got now a, a really good uh, system to help you out. You've got uh, people there to help you spiritually and, and all the different pillars, pastorally, humanly, and intelligently and, and all these different things. So um, yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, you get ordained, which is awesome. You uh, mm -hmm. become a parochial vicar for a couple of years. Right. You become a pastor for a couple of years. And yeah. I mean, we, I think, I think if anything, we kind of know what parish life is a little bit like. I mean, you know, we see mass and different things like that. But, you know, you're in a little bit of a different realm now. Like, so the archbishop, you know, calls you into the office and says, I want you to take classes in this, which now I realize that was one of your boxes. Right? The law was one of your boxes. That's true. And I'm glad you picked up on that, too. Uh, God has been so good to me, I mean, through all my life, but especially through discernment and the priesthood. Um, I've had, you know, a number of signs, affirmations, um, different things, some more miraculous yeah, than others. Right. <laughs> um, to show me that I was on the right path or to help me continue along the right path. And one of those things was, you know, even in my obedience to the archbishop and asking me to go for further studies. And, you know, that's a hard ask because I was very happy in the parish. I loved being pastor. Mm -hmm. You know, I loved being in Port Huron there. Uh, great people. And um, 
was only there for three and a half years, so I figured, you know, I figured I'd have at least one term as pastor there, if not two. Six years or maybe 12 years. Yeah, so trusting that, you know, the Holy Spirit was leading the Archbishop to move me from there, you know, uh, took some trust, you know, took some um, faith. But um, I began to see that, um, like you had already mentioned, I had always been kind of an answer guy or a resource guy, like a lot of, even in seminary and, and after seminary, people would um, just kind of randomly call me up and say, Sal, what, what is this? What's the answer to this? Or where do I find this yeah. information? And um, I've always kind of just been one of those resource kind of people. So that kind of, I thought, wow, as a canonist, you know, I'm gonna just be doing that officially yeah. <laughs> um, in a lot of ways. And um, again, one of my own thoughts after engineering was was law, and here I am being asked to go study church law. So I thought, yeah, like God is kind of fulfilling a, a desire that I always had, but fulfilling it in the way that he had always planned for me. Yeah. So there was another facet to that desire that was, again, your identity. Right, yeah, and to, yeah, to fulfill that perfectly in my identity as a priest now. I mean, it's so what, what a wonderful way that that has come together. Um, so where did you go study then? So I went to Catholic University of America in okay. Washington, D.C. And Was that like a full-time ministry, or did you have an assignment on top of that? Or? That was a full-time ministry. Um, it's six semesters to get uh, your JCL, your license in canon law, and I would assume uh, a thesis too, and everything. Yeah. So, yep. Had a you know do well in the classes, write a thesis, and um, pass a like comprehensive like oral exam. You know the timing kind of worked out. I mean, the past few years have been tough with COVID and stuff uh, for people, but I was there like through the first you know two years of that basically, and so I decided um, wanting to get back home and stuff too. I decided go through two summers and that way finishing the degree in two years hmm. so that made writing a thesis <laughs> a little <laughs> bit more difficult but you know managed to do it and so hmm. you know in two years time there I got my degree and came back and now I've been working um, just over a year um, a year and a half uh, about in the marriage tribunal um, so why don't you explain to us a little bit what canon law is because it's not about like what pirates can do and what they can't do, <laughs> like canons. Like, what does a canon actually mean, right? Like, like the pirate code. Yeah. Well, let me give you a dad <laughs> joke. What's a, p- a pirate's favorite letter? R. <laughs> it's not R. You would think it is, but it's the C. <laughs> Aha, that's bad. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, what is canon? Law? <laughs> so, segue. <laughs> you know, canon law is one of the the first recognized like maybe the, the first, if, or at least one of the first, recognized system of, of international law, you know, because so much of Europe was Catholic, mm-hmm. um, even though each country had their own laws, you know, they also recognized the laws of the church. And so canon law is real law. It's not civil law. Um, it's not United States law or Michigan law, but it is a recognized system of law in the world. 
And um, for the church, it covers, you know, basically everything. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I think people would be surprised at is most people think of canon law as being the stuff in that one book, uh, whatever color it happens to be for this edition. (laughs) (laughs) It changes, you know. Um, And, but that's just the code of canon law. And the code of canon law has, we'll say, the main stuff. But canon law is found in other places than the code. I mean, all the way from like liturgical law, Mm -hmm. you know, the rubrics and the liturgical books are part of canon law. Every single one of them has an instruction manual at the beginning of it, right? That's right. And it's like, these are law. You can use wheat bread and wine, <laughs> grape wine, and it tells you exactly what you need to use and you can't deviate. And Yeah, so you have things from the sacraments all the way to um, the Vatican has agreements with other nations. Like they have like a, um, concordats that those are all part of canon law. Um, how a pope is elected, you know, how a priest is appointed, um, how church property gets transferred, who can be a godparent, all of these things are canon law. Yeah. It, it's, it, it has such a wide variety of things. And um, So your domain is specifically in, in marriage. So what I focus on, you know, the majority of my work is being a judge on the marriage tribunal and helping to decide whether or not somebody's marriage, you know, was indeed a sacramental marriage or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but there'll also be like different side projects or consultations that I'll get involved in and and that I'm happy to get involved in because it kind of helps keep me a little more well-rounded, you know, rather than only looking at this one portion of law. But so canon law, I mean, for me, it's very interesting. And and many people, um, while they don't know a lot about canon law, they probably know a lot of canon law. Mm -hmm. And they just don't think, yeah, yeah, they just don't think about it being canon law. I mean, like the requirements to be a godparent, like people know that those requirements exist and they might even know what some of them are, but they might not think that, oh, that's an actual number in the code of canon law yeah. <laughs> that, that lays out what the requirements are. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's funny to uh, to kind of see uh, people light up when they, like, make those connections. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's where that comes from? Like, yep, there's the law. Well, just even just watching you light up with it, this is something that you really love to do, and this is, you know, God chose this for you, and you could see you're excited about it. Like, you lit up when you started talking about this stuff. Like, I'm not that... God would never ask me to be a canon lawyer. I remember when my canon law class, I I was supposed to write all facts down, and I took two pages worth of a flowery kind of introduction of a story to start talking about canon law because I didn't want to write about canon law. You know, I got a B. I'm not like Father David who gets all A's. I got a B in the class. But um, it's just amazing that, you know, God knows who you are. Mm -hmm. God knows your identity, called you to be a priest, knows exactly your temperament to call you into this canon law work and how happy you are at doing it. And I think a lot of times guys think, well, when God calls me to the priesthood, I'm going to lose everything of myself. And, and that's not usually the case. The case is more of, 
I become who I'm supposed to be. It's like going on a spiritual diet. You don't really lose anything, you know, answering the call to your vocation, except for like the bad things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, you might lose like your extra role, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, a spiritual diet, like, you know, do, do you lose anything when you eat healthier and you exercise? Like, No, you gain. No, it's a gain, right? I gain. mean, it's a life improvement. And that's the same thing with, like, answering the call to your vocation. Like, do you lose anything? Well, yeah, yeah, but nothing good. I mean, ultimately, like, it's a life gain. It's a plus. I mean, you're coming out on the better side of yeah. this. You're not losing anything. Yeah. That's awesome. I never had someone put it that way. I like that. I'm going to steal that. All right, do it. And I'm not going to give you credit either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're coming up about just on an hour here, which is awesome. The time's going by so quickly because this is such a fascinating conversation, especially just you being so open and vulnerable to to explain some of the stuff that you did. So thank you for that. Um, Sure. What would you say to a young man right now um, who's who's listening that uh, maybe kind of is in a situation like you were or something like that? What would you tell him to kind of really help him out at this point? particular moment? I really believe that giving time to discerning your vocation uh, is pleasing to God because it puts the focus of your life on Him and your faith is going to grow. And no matter what you find your vocation is, whether it's to married life or whether it's to the priesthood or maybe you find a religious vocation, you know, it's not um it's not time wasted that's what i want to say yeah. if you go to the seminary and study about god and spend time in prayer to god and spend time learning about yourself and what your strengths and what your weaknesses are and who you are and what you want to be that's going to if it it's going to make you either a great priest or it's going to make you a better spouse so there's no loss in discernment yeah. i would say that's awesome I think sometimes people think in terms, especially of time, of like, well, then I'm wasting this opportunity or this time or somehow my life is going to be put on hold. But no, your life's not on hold at all. If, if Like you said, it's it's a gain either way. It, most people would agree, if you take the vocation qu- question out of it temporarily, most people would agree that like 18 is young to make a life decision. You know, you talk to people nowadays and you say like, yeah, you're 18. You know what you want to do for the rest of your life, right? No way. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And even parents will say, yeah, that's that's tough to make a kid decide what they want to do for the rest of their life at 18. Like, So, all right. So don't give it two years, you know, discern, you know, and see where you're at. Yeah. Um, and on know. top of that, if you came right out of high school anyways, that's eight years. So there's eight years of figuring it out, too. <laughs> so it's not immediate, right? Right. The, the, the seminary t- process. The seminary process, yeah. right, is eight years. So it's not like you have to commit to something overnight. And like I said, even if you don't feel like the Lord's calling you there, it's going to make you a better husband and father. And there's even been guys who've left the seminary, 
taken some time off and come back. We talked to Father John Copson, who had an amazing story as well when uh, mm-hmm. when we talked to him about uh, a priest that he was taking care of in a nursing home and said someone's running away from their vocation. <laughs> you know, it was, it was really powerful. So there's so many different paths, and, and there's no one right way. But I think the best thing that we can do, as you said, is to, to allow God that time and, and to ask God, what, what does God want? For me that, that we're not going to be disappointed that's awesome yeah amen hey thank you so much for coming out we really appreciate it yeah it's great talking to you yeah sorry sorry father david was a flunky and didn't want to come out today i we'll give him a b minus for for effort for here effort. <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> well you want to lead us out in a prayer please sure all right in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen father as we enter this uh new year uh, we ask that you help to make us new, uh, to be more like your son, uh, and to serve you in the way that uh, you call us. Uh, We give you thanks for calling us to be your children through baptism, and we give you thanks for uh, the vocation that you have planned uh, planned for us, to make us holy, to make us happy, uh, to make us healthy, uh, to to make us into uh, person you've created us to be. Uh, Give us courage and strength as we uh, become who you have planned for us to be, and uh, help us to bring uh, you to others uh, that we meet so that they might uh, know the joy of your presence and help. Uh, We ask this uh, all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again. You're welcome. You've been listening to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me, your host, Father Craig Guerra, as we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com.